We're in Ruth chapter 2. So take your Bibles, your scripture, your copy of scripture, turn to Ruth 2. We're going to finish out the chapter uh, this week. So a few weeks ago, we, we looked at experience God's uh, providence. And the Lord did a whammy in my life and in Lynn's life and our family and all kinds of things were happening. And we had to discover through the midst of difficult times, God was working. Don't you hate it when you, you preach or you teach a Bible study or you read a devotional and then God appropriates that into your life. And then last week we looked at uh, God's faithfulness and, and today experienced God's provision. So I said, Lord, I've experienced your providence now. Let me have a little bit of this provision that's coming up, right? And... and I think he probably laughed and chuckled at me, but that's okay. So uh, we're going to be looking at that subject today. There was a young boy uh, who went to the local store with his mom, and the kind shop owner did what happened <clears throat> lots of times with children, passed a jar towards him, had a, a large jar of suckers, and invited him, help yourself to a handful. Well, uncharacteristically, the boy stood back and held back. I mean, what boy would do that, right? And so the shop owner went ahead and pulled a handful out for the boy. And went outside, the boy's mom was puzzled, and she said, why in the world did you become so shy all of a sudden? You're never shy around candy and suckers. You could have taken a handful that he offered. And the boy replied, well, it's because his hand was a lot bigger than my hand. <laughs> Smart boy. I don't know if you remember several years ago, there was a Super Bowl. I don't know if anyone watched the Super Bowl. I do. It's a national holiday at my house. But anyway, uh, there was, several years ago, a Super Bowl commercials. Some of you watch it for the commercials. There was a FedEx commercial. Do you remember this? FedEx ran a commercial that spoofed the movie Castaway. Do you remember the movie Castaway where Tom Hanks was a FedEx employee and the plane went down and he's... Uh, plane wrecked, I guess, not shipwrecked, on the island and all that. So this commercial did that, and it picked up where the, um, the FedEx employee, he looked like the, the uh, bedraggled Hanks in the movie, and he comes to the door of the suburban home, just like Tom Hanks did, and he had a package, a FedEx package in hand. And when the lady opened the door, he, he explained to her that, I've survived five years on a deserted island during the whole time I kept this package. I wanted to be able to deliver it to you like a true FedEx employee would do, right? And so she, he, he was, she said thank you, and then he was curious. You know, he, just, he said, um, if I may ask, would you open it? I'd like to see what's in the package after all. And she opened it and showed him the contents, and she said, oh, nothing really for me. Just a satellite telephone a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and a bunch of seeds. Wow. True commercial. And like the contents of that package, God's provision in all areas of life is available for every Christian. And the question is, do we see them? Do we open them up? Do we receive them. The big idea today is our extraordinary God works in our lives through his generous provisions. And unfortunately in our day and time I've got to give a little disclaimer. I want to let you know that this is not a you get rich sermon. I want you to hear me, okay? That's not biblical. If you need, I could give you a lot of illustrations, but I'll just throw one out to you real quick. Do you remember the widow? Do you remember her might? What she gave, you remember that? And how Jesus responded to that? 
over the rich people? So I just want to remind you, God can provide riches to people, but it's not some formula. And provision is what? It's, worth, it's about so much more than cash, right? It's about all areas of life. Let's uh, read uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. If I can find it. My Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me, for you have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, be sure to let her gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the city. Do you remember they, they lived in the city, but they worked, the, the farm was out in the countryside, okay? So she goes back to the city where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her, to Naomi. Then her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the, the men she had worked with and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, This man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite has said, He also told me, Stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his young women so that nothing will happen to you in another field. And Ruth stayed close to Boaz's young women and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. God, we ask as we often do, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be open to you, to your word. Every verse is important. I pray that we would see you at work around us. You would see the provisions that you provide, that you're such a generous and loving and merciful God. I also pray for those who are struggling today, God, that you would just shoot a light into their lives, that they might see who you are and that you are for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we'll jump in with verse 13, and we'll see what I've, what I've called Ruth's realization. Ruth's realization. It's quite interesting, her statement she makes. She says, my Lord, you've been so kind to me, you have comforted you've encouraged your slave she calls herself a slave although i am not like one of your female servants so here we see right off the bat in this section that ruth acknowledges her dependence upon boaz 
She calls him Lord, lowercase l, and she's commenting on his kindness towards her. Now, this is, this is not an allegory, so to speak. I don't, I don't want you to, to get that. But as we look at this Old Testament scripture, we look at it with New Testament lenses. And we can see, if we're observant, the, the kind of the picture or type of grace that we find in Christ Jesus. Can't you see it right there? It's amazing. See, the book of Ruth confirms this as well with the genealogy at its end, showing Boaz, the end of the book of Ruth, not in, not in the beginning of Matthew. It shows Boaz in the lineage which leads to Jesus. And so she has this realization right off the bat. My Lord, you have shown this to me. And then the rest of the verse, I think Ruth gives two reasons for her great gratitude. So the first one is this. She expresses thanksgiving to Boaz for calming her emotionally. What are you talking about, Lamar? You have comforted me, is what the scripture says. This word comforted implies to console, and it's related to another word, which means to breathe deeply. Can you picture that? Have you ever been comforted in that way? Where it's kind of like you go, yeah. Boaz's kindness had brought Ruth great relief. If you'll remember the situation in which she was in and Naomi was in. This is a great picture. This is a gift of provision from God. That God would work through a godly man that provided her comfort. The second thing uh, for her great gratitude and she expresses gratitude about is for his encouragement. Literally, it means to speak on the heart. I know it's not good English to speak on the heart, but that's the encouragement she received. You remember back in verse 10, Ruth is amazed based on racial considerations. Do you remember that? She's a foreigner. She's an alien. She's a Moabitess. And yet, this is bestowed upon her. But here in this verse, we see she's not amazed now about racial considerations, but about class considerations. Do you know what I mean when I talk about class considerations, social class? She uses a word to describe her different than the ladies. Uh, She uses the word slave. It implies uh, a female servant of the lowest rank. She views herself, Ruth does, of occupying the very lowest rung on the ladder, maybe not even on the ladder yet. This provision of encouragement and compassion to her is utterly amazing to her. Now, just think for a moment about us. Think about how we, as sinners, receive God's provision of comfort and compassion through his saving grace. Have you experienced that in your life? Have you experienced God's comfort, his compassion, his saving grace in your life? It's amazing to think about, and here we see that. Well, let's move on to verses 14 through 16, because now we have Boaz, and Boaz gives a response. Boaz gives a response. There appears to be a little bit of time between verse 13 and verse 14, And now, Boaz's provision goes further to Ruth. Isn't it amazing? We we know the story, but we look past some of the simple details. Remember, this sermon series is ordinary life, extraordinary God, God at work even in the ordinary things of life, in all aspects of life. And so, this provision goes further. He does something insane. He invites Ruth to what? To lunch. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, let me tell you something. In the ancient Near East, eating together had great significance. Sometimes it's not a fast food um, drive-by that we do, okay? You know, the dash to the fast food, okay? Or the food delivered to the door. No, it comes close. We only come close maybe with a birthday or Thanksgiving meal or maybe Christmas, depending on how you do that. It was significant. When they gathered together to eat, it was significant. It wasn't a simple thing like, hey, I got to grab lunch. You want to grab lunch? Hey, let's go through the drive-thru, blah, 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 blah. It's different than that, okay? It was much more than that. And we see, I see five things, believe it or not, five things that are acts of provision, and they're surprising. See if you see these in verse 14 through 16. First of all, Boaz invites. He invites an outsider, a Moabite. And the choice of verb used here shows that Ruth had done what she should have done. Ruth rightly and deliberately kept her distance. She wasn't about to go over to the table of the owner. And he basically says, gives an invite, come on over, come on over. And it's an imperative form. It's a form of a command, and it indicates very near proximity. It, it's, come on over and sit down right here, right here. Not at the foot of the table or over at the, you, you guys know what the kids' table is? You got a big enough family? I remember when I graduated from the kids' table to the, it was so good. Because I wanted what they were having. I didn't want this macaroni, cheese, and mashed potatoes. I wanted all that good stuff, yeah. So it's provision. That's the first thing we see. Just that he invited this foreigner. Number two, he encouraged her to share in the food, not just come to the table, but share in the food that had been prepared for his workers, for the harvesters. Literally, it means to eat from the bread. Come eat from the bread. It's provision. Third thing, he beckons her to come and to dip it in the vinegar. Did you catch that? Now, that's kind of weird. You got to really look at that. What, what does that mean? This vinegar sauce was a sour sauce, or what we might call today a condiment, all right? We ran out of mayo at my house. Lynn went and got mayo yesterday. Isn't that right? You got mayo. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Leftover turkey, turkey sandwich. You know, I, I, I'm more of a dark meat guy, but I'll eat white meat, but it, it tastes dry to me every now and then, so I got to have mayo on both sides of the bread with turkey. With dill pickles sliced up. Not the slices that you buy in the jar already. You take the little pickle and you, so they're thick and crunchy, okay? So why do I do that? Because I don't want dry. I don't want dry. I don't want dry. And so what we see here is this is probably what we would call a condiment. Okay, who, who doesn't like mayo? Let me see. Come on, be proud. I knew it. You guys are looking at me like I am lost and headed straight to, yeah, all right. Who's more of a ketchup freak? Go ahead. Let me see it. All right, mustard, anybody? Yeah. And then kids, I know, the new ketchup is what? Ranch. You know, I got to have ranch on everything. Yeah. Oh, see, I see your hand back there. Yeah. But the idea was this dipping, it, was, it would moisten this dry bread, but it would also spice it up a little bit. What's the point? Boaz did not allow her to eat. Come on over, partake, but don't just eat this dry bread while I enjoy something more pleasant. Dip it, just like I am here. Dip it. Provision. 
Fourth thing, it continues this amazing scene. He then serves her. He serves her roasted grain himself. The scripture says he offered. That word means to stretch with an outstretched hand. It's as if he went like this and he offered this to her. You know what's interesting? That word that's used here, it's the only time it's used in the Old Testament. It's very interesting. What does it picture for me? More, another level of provision. And then fifthly, the final one here we find in verse 14 is Boaz gives Ruth enough to satisfy her. And did you catch what else? Enough for her and then some left over. Wow, I want us to see that this verse is more. We have to see past what the, just the general, generic human reading of this. This is much more than simply feeding someone who is hungry. It's a magnificent demonstration of compassion and generosity and acceptance, a biblical example of Hasid. Are you familiar with that word? It's a big word that's in the theme of Ruth. H-E-S-E-D. Hasid. It's a, it's a great example of this. All this put together. It's a theme in Ruth. It means this. If you want to know what Hasid means, it means this. A love in action, completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Let me read that again. This picture of what Boaz is doing. Love in action, Completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Does that ring a bell to anybody? What do we call that? Grace, don't we? God's unmerited favor to us sinners, and we see that. And then we go on in verse 15 and 16, and we see even further provision. Boaz goes on and he instructs his harvesters not to humiliate or insult Ruth. It's a command that reinforces, if you go back and look at verse 9, the protection that there's what he's doing. So what a response that is. And then we get to verse 17. I like it kind of as a standalone verse. Provision received is what I've called it. Provision received. Let's look at verse 17. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. Okay, great, we move on. Oh, wait a minute. Simply stated, Ruth, do you see what she's doing? She's working diligently until dusk. That's what the word means. She's working diligently till dusk. She's putting in the work. That's a whole nother sermon that we don't have time for about putting in the work and what the Bible says. You want to eat? You ought to work? We could go on and on, couldn't we? She is doing the work. She's not just standing there going, wow. I bet he'll come back around and just, no, she's doing that. And it, it, scripture tells us she beat out the grain, it's hard work, from the heads of barley, and the results were amazing. It was about an ephah. And, and my translation, about 26 quarts. Uh, scholars debate this, but we could say, are you ready for this? We could say confidently it was between 30 and 50 pounds. Picture that. I mean, that's pretty good haul for green chili, isn't it? Man, give me a couple bushels. And she did that much. What a, what a provision that she received as she worked. It was given to her. That's quite a bit. Think about that trek back to the city, and she's lugging or dragging or doing whatever she is that much. Let me ask you this as we think about her gleaning and this provision. How is our gleaning related to our Savior, Jesus? 
How are we doing? Gleaning being the seeking of him and his presence and the working out of salvation. Discipleship. Serving and following him. I think it's a great picture for us to look at. Another question I want to ask is, where's our focus? Where's our focus today and every day? You see, God has provided each of us with rescue, and he has given us his word. Will we receive that by faith? Will we receive that? Well, let's move on to the rest of the chapter, verses 18 through 23, and we continue to see provision. First of all, we see provision shown. It's going to be evident. And we see provision shared. Notice in verse 18, Ruth returns home. Remember who's at home? Remember? Naomi? Mother-in-law? They're widows? We've already dealt with all that death and everything in the family. The tragedy had come. And she returns home uh, with much. And guess what? Naomi noticed. I think that's important to notice. When God provides something in our life, ultimately and supremely salvation, people ought to notice. We ought to be able to speak about it. They ought to see the fruit in our life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Naomi notices, and Ruth is now sharing the provision with someone else, with Naomi. I got to thinking, what a great doggy bag for her mother-in-law. She bought a big doggy bag. The exciting provision prompts a good conversation of the rest of the chapter. So I'm going to try to do this. Are you ready? So this will be Naomi. You guys are Naomi, all right? This will be Ruth, okay? Here it is. Where in the world the Lord blessed this landowner? His name is Boaz. What? Give him more blessings, Lord. Oh, got to stay over here. Naomi. By the way, He's a close relative. He's a family redeemer. Now, let me stop for a minute. That acting wasn't very good, but let me interject something here. We need to talk about family redeemer. In your translation, may say kinsman redeemer real quick. Um, it's goel, G-O-E-L, if you're wondering the word. It's a, a technical legal term related to Israelite family law. And what goel is, what this idea of kinsman redeemer, family redeemer is this, it denotes a near relative, And the near relative is responsible for another relative, especially if they're in distress or unable to get out of a crisis. Are you following me? Some of you are like, well, I've done that in my family. Yes, you have. But you're not under this Israelite family law, or you would be a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, the idea of Goel, okay? So I want you to catch that. It's a relative. Do you see how God's working in all this? Out of all the fields and all the people? And all the situation, and now we have this kinsman redeemer. And Naomi's, Naomi's going, whoo, Ruth didn't know this. Let's notice five aspects of Goel's redemptive role, okay? This is just a little, if you're into the history or into what this means, there's five things that had to happen with the family redeemer. Number one, this person ensures that property of the clan stays with the clan. I know that's different than today. That's Leviticus 25, if you're brave enough to read Leviticus 25. (laughs) Number two, 
This person would maintain freedom by buying back, or this is very important, think about this, by buying back those sold into slavery because of extreme poverty. Leviticus 27. Number three, this family redeemer, the idea of Goel, could execute murderers of near relatives. Yipes, that's a, that's a pretty uh, profound one. That's found in Numbers 35. Number four, uh, this person could obtain restitution money on behalf of a deceased relative. Numbers five. And the last one, number five, in a lawsuit, this person could ensure there is justice for relatives. We find that in the book of Job, in the Psalms, in Jeremiah, all over the place. So that's that idea. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but it's a really important theme. Family, Redeemer, kinsman, Redeemer, Goel. Now back to the conversation. Okay, I'm back to Ruth here. And he told me, stay really close to the harvest. Naomi, this is great news. Stay with the ladies and you will be safe. So it's a dialogue that's kind of going back and forth. And we see in the scripture, Ruth did just this and she stayed. Now do you remember that word? We've already talked about it. It's the same word again, cleave. You remember we've talked about that? It means stick like glue. Doesn't mean whimper and get around the ankles and hold on while you're walking away and they're being dragged along. No, it means I'm right here with you, stick like glue. So she does just that. And how long does she do it? Scripture tells us she does it until the barley and the wheat harvest is over. Did you ever notice that? We get on the barley harvest and we forget this little phrase in there. It's both harvests. And she stays until it's completed. This is very interesting to me and others because the time period would have been, it would have spanned at least three months between these harvests, okay? Harvest to the end of this harvest, okay? At least three months. Interestingly, this at least three months is also the time period in Jewish tradition back then that would be needed before a female Gentile, a Moabitess, Joining the Jewish faith, you remember chapter 1? Could marry. Isn't that interesting? If you know the rest of the story, you know it's coming up. How interesting that God in his provision would allow her to glean throughout this harvest and this harvest. Oh, and it just happens to be long enough that she is into the Jewish faith now as a Gentile of Moabitess. And it's long enough period of time for the things to be taken care of, there's a period of time to then be able to marry within that faith. I find that very interesting. Coincidence? There's no coincidence, is there? One of my friends years ago told me, coincidence is God choosing to remain anonymous. And I like that. I think, there's a, I think sometimes he doesn't choose to remain anonymous, but he is at work, and we see that over and over. And I would just say, we, we look, come to verse 23, and we just see the summary of all that had been happening. A lot of stuff had been happening over a period of months. What great example of our extraordinary God working through his generous provisions. He has been prompting Boaz, all these things. So I want us to think about a few things in closing this morning. In chapter 2, we learn that God is most definitely a provision-making God. 
How do we learn this? He is providing for two widows. And we remember the significance of that back then, don't we? I mean, it wasn't just go, hey, I'll just go out and uh, finish my degree, and then I'll go get the... It wasn't that way. Those are tough times. But yet God shows us that he is a provision-making God in the lives of these two widows, how he provides. In a sense, I would say we are here today because of this. We are right here today because of this. Think about it. Ruth went. She met Boaz. I'm going to give it away. She married him, and she had a son with him who just happened to be the great-grandfather of King David, the ancestor of who? We sing about it today. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Wow. Think about that for a minute. And why did God go to all this trouble to send Jesus into the world? Because we're strangers. We're aliens. We're foreigners to God. What does the Bible say? All have sinned. We are sinners who are in need of a Savior. Listen, if you're here today listening, if you are watching online, I want you to really hear this. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus came. We're getting ready to celebrate that, right? Some of you have been celebrating since September, I know. We're at the concert Friday night, and Natalie Grant got outed that she's got the trees up in September and all that, you know, just Christmas like crazy. But we're sinners who need a Savior, and we celebrate this, but we have to go way beyond just the birth and realize that Jesus came and lived, as Gregory just prayed, and then he died on the cross for sinners. Just like the people living in the time of Judges, Ruth, Boaz, and all that, and just like today, And he rose on the third day and offers life eternal for those who believe in him. Offers meaning and purpose in life today. Yes, the evidence is overwhelming. Our God is a providing God. Let me tell you, the greatest provision that could ever come into your life is not, hey, I got a million dollars or five million dollars, or hey, I got, uh, I saw the other day a Maserati, and I almost ran off the road in my truck. (laughs) Not even that. Or perhaps even you've been dealing with something difficult in your life, and it's like, Lord, if you just give me a child. Lord, if you would just give me a spouse. Lord, if you would just give me some peace in my family or would repair this relationship. We can go on and on and on with scenarios, but the greatest provision is the Savior for sinners, Jesus Christ. May we never get tired of sharing the good news. May we never get tired, and some of you may get tired, but you hear it almost every week from me. Never get tired of the fact that we are all sinners and we have the answer, the cure, if you will. It's what Jesus has done. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, so that none of us can boast. For God so loved the world, what? That he gave his one-of-a-kind son, Jesus. So that what? So that us sinners would not have to perish if we believe, but what? Have eternal life. God is our providing God.
And there's nothing greater than that. So whatever your, your if statement is, God, if you could just provide this, change it to, thank you, God, you provided salvation for me. Or if you're still searching, God, would you just show me what it means to receive this greatest provision and gift, salvation. Let me describe what we've been talking about today in this way. Charles Spurgeon Love the way he wrote things back in the 1800s. Let me read it. It's a fairly long quote, so I'll read fast and you listen fast. Whenever we are privileged to eat of the bread which Jesus gives, we are like Ruth, satisfied with full and sweet repast. When Jesus is the host, no guest goes empty from the table. Our head is satisfied with the precious truth which Christ reveals. Our heart is content with Jesus as the altogether lovely object of affection. Our hope is satisfied. For whom have we in heaven but Jesus? Our desire is satiated. For what can we wish for more than, or here it is, to know Christ and to be found in him? Jesus fills our conscience till it is that perfect peace. Our judgment with persuasion of the certainty of his teachings. Our memory with recollections of what he has done. And our imagination with the prospects of what he is yet to do. That is our God. That is what he does. He is the provision providing God that we serve and that we love. I want to close in this way with a little story. I want you to think about it. Many years ago, a Russian immigrant bought a ticket on a ship to come to the USA. Remember? How many, you guys weren't alive then, but you'll remember when people used to do that on ship, right? Ellis Island and all that kind of stuff. Remember that? I don't think any of you were around then, were you? No, there's no way. So he, that's like so many people, he bought the ticket to get on the ship to come to the United States. And his mother gave him a loaf of black bread, a Russian thing to do, which he did something interesting. He divided it up. It took many, many days to do this. He divided up this loaf of bread to last the entire trip. You know, planned it out this day, this day, this day. And each day he would look in and see all the people inside the ship banqueting. And it wasn't until the end of the trip that he discovered his fare included all that food. Just like when you guys go on cruise ships, right? I want you to think about that for a minute. Don't miss out on our extraordinary God's provision. Don't miss out. Could I be so bold as to say, it's on you if you miss out. It's on you. He is full of grace and love and mercy, and he is like this. In fact, Scripture says he even draws us to himself. Don't miss it. What is he saying to you today? What is he providing right now in this service for you today? Don't miss it. It's salvation for some. It's purpose and meaning in life. It's an aspect of servanthood. It's a lot of different things. Don't miss out. The fair 
Jesus paid is the full banquet and available, the full provision to us. Let's pray. Oh, God, help us not to miss, miss out. My, my heart is burdened for those who, who are searching, who are trying to understand this rescue plan, this story of redemption, how God loved them so much and sent Jesus to die, to pay the price for their sin. God, I pray that there would be understanding. That people who are searching would realize it is not an accident that I'm here today. It is not an accident that I'm watching online. But God, you are working. You are extraordinary God working in ordinary life. And God, I pray that they would see the need to repent, to turn from life and run to Jesus for his forgiveness and the life that he provides. And that they would confess to Jesus that he is Savior and Lord. And God, I pray that you would save people today all over our planet. That you would become real Lord to people even right here in this room today. Thank you for this picture of provision. God, help us to reduce our list of wants and what we'd like provided and just realize that the greatest gift of provision pictured here in Ruth chapter 2 is that you have said to us, come on over. Come sit with me. I'm knocking. Just open the door and let us dine together. God, I thank you that you're a saving God full of grace. I pray for that today. And I pray that we would be hopeful, that we would be renewed, that our batteries would be energized, those of us who are believers and followers of Christ, just to realize all that you provide. And God, help us to share and help us to show it so that others might know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.